So as we come to the end of uh, this short series in Hebrews 11, only part of Hebrews 11, we'll be looking at turning homesickness into home wholeness. Here's how I connect with the story. On August 31st, 1989, by a unanimous decision of Grace Church of Santa Barbara, uh, I received an invitation to be their pastor. It was the culmination of five months of telephone interviews and candidating. And we had prayed and thought and wrestled. So our acceptance was a foregone conclusion. Accepted immediately, resigned from the Hillcrest Baptist Church in Durban that same day. Put our house on the market and it sold in three days. And we were on our way. Uh, but only one problem, we didn't realize that the immigration pro process is like a labyrinth. You can get into it all right, but you're never sure you're actually ever going to get out of it. <laughs> and so it's going to take five months and a gazillion things like police reports from everywhere we've ever lived, and that included my daughter in Australia and France and us from Zimbabwe or Rhodesia at the time. Uh, and then all the financial statements and the medical reports until uh, we were quite, quite tired of it. I think that if they could have, they would have asked for a record of every sneeze I'd ever sneezed. Well, we were now firmly in no man's land because I'd resigned and left. The house was sold and we've got this five months of process ahead of us. What the heck are we going to do? Uh, so we had to bounce around among friends and family, and they were all gracious and caught our suitcases. We did a few uh, interesting things like going to uh, resorts and so on. They froze our money, by the way, so we had to spend it in South Africa. So we spent our future and had a great time doing that. But along the way, living in no man's land became a tremendous burden. We began to question that we made the right decision. We began to experience some of the hostility of people who were opposed to what we were doing. Uh, it's hard living with friends and relatives for five months. <laughs> Harder on them than us, I think. And so all these questions and throbbing answers and time started moving so slowly that we couldn't believe it. Felt like time was a snail on one of those glue trap mousetraps. That's how slowly it went. And uh, the questions that came and the doubts and all the other things. So you'll see some of this in the scripture reading this morning and I'm quite sure that you can identify exactly with what I'm saying from your own spiritual pilgrimage. So this is the relevance of the passage this morning. The chapter began with an affirmation. Faith is substantial. There's amazing evidence for faith. He called some witnesses, Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, all of them by faith. And now he reaches a sort of a conclusion. And it's the same passage Nathan dealt with last Sunday, but my perspective on it's entirely different. So they mesh together in a wonderful way. So here's Hebrews 11, verses 13, 16. 
all these people, that's Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. God has got a bumper sticker on His heavenly chariot. My children are honor students in the Royal Academy. <laughs> That's what that last verse means. Well, it's such a short reading that it's worth doing it again, and here it is in the Amplified Version of the Bible, which expands it a little bit in the, uh, in the translation. Uh, these people all died controlled and sustained by their faith, but not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises. Only having seen it and greeted it from a great distance by faith, and all the while acknowledging and confessing that they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon the earth. Now those people who talk as they did show plainly that they are in search of a fatherland, their own country. If they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were emigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. But the truth is that they were yearning and aspiring to a better and more desirable country that is a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let us pray together. Great God, You are so amazing. Your majesty and glory are of such a kind that no man can look on you and live. So you became flesh and dwelt among us and walked and lived among us so that we may know what, you, what your character is like. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of a long process whereby you prepared the earth for his coming. And so he's not some Johnny-come-lately with a new program, but he fits right in with your plans from the beginning, and he will see them through to the end. And here we this morning are greatly privileged to examine them and then to be caught up in the beauty of them. So please, Holy Spirit, will you make known to us the life of God and enable us to enjoy our faith as never before, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we are all in the middle years of our journey. 
those of us who have confessed Christ, that is. We started and we're hoping. And these are the danger years. These are the years when you can get homesick. These are the years when the hardships of the journey register with you. These are the years when you sometimes regret and say, did I make a mistake in following Jesus? How different would my life be and would I like to go back to it? There were opportunities that I had that I gave up because of my Christian faith. For some, the hopes are fading and they're saying, I'm not sure if there's any reality to it at all. And so we are in danger of losing our focus and our life may become completely routine. All the emotion can go out of it and you are doing what you're doing here in church simply on cruise control. No real joy. You came just because that's what I do on a Sunday. And in that all, there is also the temptation uh, when the, the whole issue comes before you and you struggle to know uh, what is the Christian faith all about? Should I, should I be experiencing more joy? Uh, should there be this great pain? What lies ahead? Has my growth been arrested? And so on and so on. I was thinking of the 49ers who heard of the gold in California and set off with such great hope, making their way mostly up the Mississippi River and then setting across in their they covered wagons across the plains. And by the time they got to Salt Lake City, which is a, a hard day's drive at 70 miles an hour, you can imagine that they were tired and weary and worn. And now the worst part lay ahead. That bit from Salt Lake City to the Sierras, a, almost a desert. Would they find water? I'm sure the creaking of the harness started grating on their nerves. And then they would come across abandoned wagons, maybe with the wheels broken, the bleached bones of oxen, and maybe even human beings, the skeletons lying, staring into the sky. Will we make it? Should we turn back? Is it worth it? Were the stories true? And out of it all comes an exceptional sense of isolation. I'm all alone in this world. Where is God? I haven't experienced God in vivid reality for oh so long. Am I missing out? Is it all a lie? Was it just an emotional thing that I did when I received Jesus as my Savior? Did I take a wrong turn? And so the result is that you hardly expect anything more of your Christianity. You didn't really come to church thinking, wow, today my faith will be revived. I'm going to go out of here as a uh, spirit-filled believer. If you did, I'm, I congratulate you. Um, the questing has ended. And you think you... There's nothing more to learn and there's nowhere else to go. You've experienced it all and the thrill of salvation is like a stale taste in your mouth. 
and somebody put at you like a, a person with a migraine. You've got it all right, but you wish you didn't have it. And isn't that sad that all of us have been there and maybe I'm describing you this morning in that very place. And so the temptation has come. Here's a pleasant glade. There's water. We can sustain ourselves here. Let's put down roots. Forget the journey. Forget the gold. I can just make a go of it right where I am now. And of course we become totally numb in emotion and spirit. And um, maybe you're there. I've been there. I think I'll be there again before the end of the road. And uh, our passage this morning addresses this issue and talks about turning homesickness into home wholeness. And the first thing that I would say to you is that if you have got these questions, how do I change? How do I mature in my faith? What's the next step? Is there a next step? How do I stay interested and keep progressing? Those are not the questions of a beginner in the Christian faith. So if you're asking them, I congratulate you. And this is what I've said to countless people in my office over four decades. Congratulations, the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Those are the things that he puts in you to keep you going. And he is the Spirit of God bringing you into maturity. And uh, those are very healthy questions. But where do you go from there when you're talking to people about these issues? Well, there's this way that I used to uh, follow. And that is the way of discipline. So sitting in my office over the over the way from me, I would start asking you about your prayer life and give you resources on praying. I would inquire about uh, how much you read and study the Bible and whether you are, uh, as we like to say, in the Word. I think it's more relevant that the Word be in us. And uh, I've come to really dislike that little phrase a little bit. It's not a big issue, but for me personally... <laughs> Then I'll begin to ask you about how constant you are in worship, whether you're fellowshipping anywhere in a small group and are accountable for change, and whether you are bringing your character to God and asking for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be realized in your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And these things are meant to revive your spirit and energize you and get you going into the next step of your Christian experience. And so it's the way of discipline. And of course, the way of discipline is always high anxiety and full of uncertainty. Let me explain what I mean by that with a very radical illustration from the world of Buddhism, but you will see how it translates into what we're saying here. I became aware in the last year that Buddhists can go on a six-month retreat in order to improve their karma. And karma you can think of as your spiritual bank account and you've got to put money into it so that in your next incarnation, which Buddhists believe in, reincarnation, uh, you draw on that bank account and it 
enriches you and you come back as a better person or maybe as an enlightened person and it, it's all a good process if you're a Buddhist. Now, in the six-month retreat, the first month requires the person, and I've got this absolutely right because I double-checked it, to do 100,000 prostrations. That is, fall on your knees, on your face, get up, fall on your knees, on your face, 100,000 times. Well, I say, buddy, go for it. <laughs> but there's some high anxiety questions I want to ask you. Uh, what if you lost count and you, you did one short of 100,000? <laughs> uh, are you sure you counted right? Now, if 100,000 is good, isn't 110,000 better? So why don't you do an extra 10,000? Uh, but come to think of it, probably 200,000 is at least twice as good, maybe three times as good because your perseverance has been longer. So I suggest you do the second month and do 200,000 prostrations. Uh, but I want to ask you this. Does it count if you did one with a bad attitude? I'm sure sort of by day three, your attitude uh, uh, sort of um, <laughs> gets a little bit anti. Uh, and so all these questions about high anxiety and uncertainty are exactly the same ones that you would ask yourself down the road about the way of discipline as the means of Christian growth. Have I studied the Bible enough? Should I learn Greek? Uh, should I read more commentaries? Have I prayed enough? If I've done an hour of prayer in the morning, isn't two hours better? And so you can go on and on, and then you ask the why of the whole thing. Why 100,000? Why those five things? Why not something else? Is it enough? And so on, and so on, and so on. Never ending. There's another way, and I'm very glad to say that this is the way that Hebrews chapter 11 points us to. You see, there's a switch here in verse 13. He says, these all lived and died in faith. If you read the passage clearly, and uh, Nathan referred to it last week in that outstanding sermon. Uh, listen to it if you've missed it that the people of faith in the journey in the beginning of Hebrews says, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah. And there's no actual preposition in the original Greek. It's just the word in the dative case. And the dative case in Greek means the possessive case. And that's why it is by faith, or as the Amplified Bible put it, being possessed and controlled by faith, they lived their lives and did these amazing things, worshipped and lived and sacrificed and had one child as the fulfillment or as the beginning of the fulfillment of descendants as many as the stars and as the grains of sand on the beach. 
By faith they believe that God is a rewarder of those that seek him. And therefore, they now, now the, the, the writer to the Hebrews adds a preposition, and he says, these lived and died according to faith, not merely by faith, but there's a transition. And the way I like to think of it is uh, in terms of an illustration from the Grand Canyon, that you can stand on the rim and you can read all the marquee write-ups there about the proportions of the canyon, the width and the depth and the volume of the water and the climate as you drop down and uh, everything you need to know about the Grand Canyon. And that, in a sense, is the way he uses in the beginning of Hebrews. Here is faith. And going back to the first chapter of Hebrews, uh, faith is God uh, revealing himself in Jesus, who is the bright and very image of the eternal Father, superior to the priests and the priesthood and the temple and the sacrifice and so on. Here is Jesus as the fulfillment of, of all of that. Those are the parameters of faith. Then there comes the moment when the guide says, put on your backpack, and he leads you down the path into the Grand Canyon. And you go down to Phantom Ranch down the bottom, and you actually dip your toes into the Colorado River, and you see it all and experience it firsthand. A very different thing. The two are intimately related, but biblical faith is not just a description of the grandeur of the Christian way. It's not just a, a catalog and encyclopedia of facts about God. It is you going down into the Grand Canyon of the Trinity and enjoying the things that are promised in the gospel. And although you are not there and you will not receive them in this life, according to faith, you believe and there is substance in it, and there is a very real thing that happens. And so here is the word of Jesus about the way of the middle years. No longer, he says, and this was our call to worship this morning, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Now you can see immediately that the two approaches are very different this one here is all based on a servant who doesn't know what his master is doing. He punches a time clock, he goes off duty, and has a different life from his working life. But friendship is all-embracing. Friends call each other at midnight in crisis. They plan to spend time together. They go on vacation together. They often get together for dinner, and they picnic together, and they are sharing their hearts together. They love to sit around a campfire and shoot the breeze while the stars are shooting above their heads. Friendship is so different. And this is what God calls us into, not servitude, but friendship. So now we've got to ask, 
how does this develop exactly? Well, we've already seen John 15, verses 14 to 16, and uh, I've just got a selection of a few verses here, but if you read your Bible with your eyes open and look for this concept, it'll jump out at you all over the place that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I don't still have to reach for those things and wonder, how am I going to appropriate the blessings of Christ? I've already got them. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, you have got peace and you live in the place of access and you rejoice in the hope of glory. All present tense, all things that are yours already. Here he says in Colossians, in Christ the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have, and you have been filled in him, have been, past tense, completed action. You've been filled with the fullness of the deity. And this one in John 17 that I've been really appreciating over the last year, more or less, when it just registered with me uh, for the first time as an amazing, amazing concept. Jesus praying to his Father says, I pray that the glory that you have given me I have given to them. You're not still reaching out and straining and saying, how do I change? How do I become full of God's glory? Jesus has drawn you into it. You're already there. And I pray that they may be one even as we are one and we are drawn around the campfire of the triune God to sit down and are drawn into their fellowship and their glory is the glory that we already experience. So you can see the very different approach to friend, uh, of friendship is just sitting down, relaxing, enjoying what is already yours. Now, somebody's going to say, but what about that Bible study and fellowship and worship? And what about character? I mean, doesn't it matter anymore? This Anton Hoffman is antinomian. I think we should sack him. Uh, maybe I'll be more relieved than you. <laughs> well, you see, it's not either or. It's a beautiful paradox. And I've been thinking more and more that whenever I find something in the Bible that I can't comprehend, it's probably a paradox. And that the teaching of Jesus is full of paradox. So what is paradox? Paradox is two statements that contradict each other. And usually what we do is we choose either or. So if I choose the way of friendship, then I can say, well, the way of servitude doesn't matter anymore. But no, paradox invites you to explore the relationship between the two, and suddenly you go into an entirely different level of appreciation of the Scriptures and of God Himself. Suddenly you find yourself going down into the Grand Canyon and experiencing it firsthand through the joy and beauty of paradox. And so what does friendship do to you? Well, 
don't you want to know more about the person that you're befriending? When you're sitting around the campfire, don't you ask, where do you come from? What is your state of heart? What are the things you experienced in your home? What are some of the lessons you learned? And then you talk about life in general and you just enjoy the friendship so much. And it's all like a Bible study, but there's been no effort or discipline about it. These are things I want to know. And so I'm coming to them with a motivation not of discipline, but the motivation of friendship. And that goes far beyond the discipline where you are punching a time clock and saying, I'm going to spend an hour in Bible study, <clears throat> only another 20 minutes to go. Rats, only 20 seconds have gone by. Now you're saying, wow, I'm drawn into the glory of the Trinity. What is that? And so I go to Genesis and I start reading about the creation and I look up all the cross-references into the book of Psalms and the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel. And then I come to the New Testament and I see the birth of Jesus. And you see the Bible study is not me disciplining myself, but me on a voyage of discovery. And along the way, I say to other people, gee, look at this verse in the Bible. What the heck do you think it means? And they say, it's a paradox. <laughs> Let's explore the relationship between them. And the same with prayer. I'm not watching my watch to say, have I prayed enough? Well, I'm just praying all day long because these things are mine. And I don't have to reach for them and grasp them, but they've been given to me. And then somebody says, well, you know, I never found a single place where Jesus said you should go to church ever. And I have Jesus in my heart, and that's enough. I don't need to go to worship or anything like that. And I usually say, oh, really? The Jesus in your heart actually said that to you? That's very strange because the Jesus in the Bible said, I will build my church and he drew 12 men into a beginning congregation, and they walked with him, and it was his custom to go to synagogue. And yeah, you're right, he doesn't ever say go to church. What he says is you are the church, so when you're missing, the church is lacking, so, you know, go figure. There's a nice paradox for you. And the beautiful thing is there is zero anxiety in friendship. So when somebody sits down and says, I don't know if I've changed enough. So how will you ever know that? So what I usually say is, well, go back five years. Are you different to what you were five years ago? And you can usually see like lights coming on in their head. Yeah, I'm very different to what I was five years ago. How do you think that happened? Well, you were just walking in the company of Jesus, and just like they say, you know, uh, pet owners start looking like their pets, so you should never buy a bulldog. <laughs> Come on, laugh, folks. <laughs> that, that was a bomber of a joke. <laughs> you become like the people you love in character and in many, many other ways. And just by being in the presence of Jesus, you are going to grow and become more and more like him. 
So these then, all according to faith, they lived and died, enjoying already the blessings of the gospel. In other words, not heaven itself, not the full presence of God, but by faith, that was substantial, and they enjoyed the peace of heaven and the joy of heaven and the forgiveness of heaven and the presence of God from heaven even as they walked, not the reality, not the fullness of it, but by faith, the things of God are being revealed to them. And so when the Apostle Paul, just to round out that Ephesian verse, which has got, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. This is how he starts the verse. May blessing, and that word means praise, and laudation, that's an old English word. You can see Lord and applaud. May praise and applause and eulogy be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly realm given by the Holy Spirit, made real in your experience by the Holy Spirit. So here I am in the middle years and I'm saying, oh man, my Christian experience is so dull and I'm so tired of it, and I'm just like a numbed-out thing. I don't think about it anymore. I don't talk about it. There's no joy, and there's, there's nothing to it, and I don't know if I should expect more. Ah, well, you see, that is God saying, come on, let's sit around the campfire a bit. And the way you tap into it is through praise and applause and eulogy. And so, you turn your life into one of thanksgiving, and when you're feeling dull, you say around the campfire, gosh, I'm feeling distant from you. And he says, you have every blessing, and you have peace, and here's the joy of the Holy Spirit. And you say, thank you. That's the dynamic of Christian growth. It's receiving what God has given by saying, thank you. It's by enjoying the Holy Spirit making real to you the things that have been promised in the gospel and you actually jingling down, bright angel path, down into the depths of the character of God, the grand canyon of the Holy Trinity. That is what it is, saying thank you and taking the journey. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? It was put to me in this way in Campus Crusade, and I think I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again. A very simple dynamic. When your body is full of carbon dioxide and it's doing you damage and everything, you breathe out. And then you take another breath and you oxygenate everything through your bloodstream. And you revive and re-energize and keep life flowing through the operation of breathing. Now you make that a spiritual action. Whenever I'm feeling stale and distant from God and I've got all these bewildering questions about my life and so on, I remember this and I practice it myself very often. I take all the gunk and the distance and all my guilt and shame and I breathe it all out. 
And then I take a deep breath and I associate it with the Holy Spirit filling my heart and mind with the presence of God. And in a moment, in one breath, my whole attitude has changed because I have enjoyed the Holy Spirit bringing the blessing of the gospel into my life. And I'm going to, let's do that together now. I lead you in a breath in which you will receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So let us pray together. Just collect up all the negatives in your life. Everything that's disturbing you, your distance from God, uh, your shame, your guilt, the sins you've committed, your lack of love. Just grow the list. Put it all there together. Now you breathe out all that noxious carbon dioxide and you breathe in and the oxygen flowing into your body and oxygenating your blood is a symbol of the Holy Spirit filling your heart and your mind with the presence of Christ and you are being energized and you are receiving the full blessing that is yours in the gospel. Every blessing that can be given is yours in this moment. And you say, thank you. Thank you, God. And you are loved with an everlasting love and led by grace that love to know. Gracious Spirit from above, you have taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace this transport, this rapture, it's all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my peace. I am blessed in everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast. And Chip is going to lead us in the singing of that hymn.